0: listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus for more information please visit southpoint.org okay so Whether that was brand new information or a reminder, I hope that it was helpful on, as we begin the book of Daniel, kind of placing uh, this book in the story of the Bible and how Daniel fits into it all. Now, here's what I want us to hear. I want us to know that God created time. Let's call it A to Z. God created this time, okay? And in creating this time, The Bible tells us that God is sovereign over time. So A to Z, God is sovereign over all things, which is just a nice, fancy theological word to mean that God is in control of all things. A to Z, God created time. He's sovereign over it all. And this sovereign God who created all time, all things, even time itself placed you here on September 4th, 2022 in Locust Grove, Georgia. And he didn't do that coincidentally. He didn't do it haphazardly. God who created all things, whose sovereign over time itself placed you here today for a purpose. Now, what's that purpose? What's that reason? I want you to consider that today. I want you to consider that question as we begin diving into the book of Daniel. And as you consider it, note just a few things. I want you to be aware of every single thing that comes to your mind. Why did God create me? What was his purpose in creating me? But your answers cannot ultimately land on these, okay? There is no reason. God has given other people purpose, but not me, or it doesn't matter. I want you to be aware, even if those things pop up, but I don't want you ultimately to land there, because there is a sovereign God over all things. And even at the very beginning of the Bible, we heard just a little bit about this a moment ago. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God does something very specific in the creation account. There in verse 26. Does anybody know what he creates there? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he creates who? Man and woman, male and female. And he created them how? Yes. In his image. Somebody said image. I heard image. He created them in his image. The Bible tells us, man, I'm going to ask some more questions. So we ready? (laughs) He created us in his image. The Bible says, in his very likeness, we were created man and woman. The very image of God is on you. Sovereign God. Whose creator of time itself has placed you here for a particular reason, and you need to know that you have his image upon you. The image of God is on you. Unlike other created things, man and woman bear the image of God. Now, why get into that, getting into the book of Daniel? Well, believe it or not, the book of Daniel is more than Daniel in the lion's den. The book of Daniel is more than uh, the fiery furnace with Daniel's friends plus one. I want you to consider why in the world God has placed you here in the here and now, because the book of Daniel is ultimately about the sovereignty of God. And as we look at this God over the months to come, I want you to see how God has orchestrated human history for his glory, and he has a unique divine plan for your life in the midst of it, right here, right now. So friends, whether you believe it or not, I know that there, in a room this size. There are people who are already saying, I don't believe what you're saying. Whether you believe it or not, friends, would you consider with me this morning about the possibility that there is a God and if there is a God, that he is in control of all things and if he's in control of all things, that he has a plan for your life, desires for you right here, right now. Now, I said I was going to need your help. If this were true, and I believe it is, what, what are some words that you might use to describe that feeling? That God has desires for me and he has a purpose for me. What are some words that come to mind when you hear that? Great? Grateful. Grateful. What else? Humbled, mission. I missed a word. Hope, yeah. Holy, yeah. Anything else come to mind? Exciting. I'm a part of something. What else? Anybody on this side? Loving. Fascinating. Yeah. Thanks, Richard. Relief. Good word. Honored. honored. Yeah. And second, would you consider if this is true, how would I live differently if I really believed this? You, you said fascinated, honored excited, humbled, holy. If I really believe those things were true, how might I live differently as a result of knowing that sovereign God who created all things has placed me here in Locust Grove, Georgia on September 4th for a purpose? How might I live differently? Enter the book of Daniel. And as I said, We're not going to get into the book necessarily today. I'm going to leave that all to Pastor Mark. By the way, he and Mandy are away celebrating 42 years of marriage. So when you see them again, just tell them thank you, that they are an example of a godly, faithful marriage over a long period of time. And that is a blessing to our church, isn't it? And also... Pastor Mark really loves, what are these? They're like praline Sundays at Freddy's. So if you want to make him happy, get him a gift card to Freddy's. And Mandy is really happy when Mark is happy, you know? So if you want to make the two of them happy, like a praline or something, something weird like that at Freddy's, that's the way to Mark, okay? Okay. But we celebrate the godly example of Mark and Mandy's marriage for 42 years. They're away, and I'm going to leave all the heavy lifting to him next week getting into the book of Daniel. So we're not going to get all into that today. We praise God for his kindness towards Mark and Mandy. Um, so here we are. Daniel is, tivi- is divided into essentially two halves. First, there is the narrative half, and there are 12 chapters. So if you go looking right now, you're going to find out Daniel is actually chapters 1 through 12, and you say, Chris, you're not that great at math. I understand that 1 through 6 would be perfect, perfectly half. Okay, I get that. But for our purposes, there's essentially the narrative half, chapters 1 through 7, and then there's the prophetic half in chapters 8 through 12. Now, the narrative half is basically like 40% of the Old Testament. It tells things that happen. It tells us what has taken place. And that's the half of the book of Daniel that, if this book is familiar at all, is probably familiar to you. Uh, there's, there's the stories of Daniel and his friend. There are the stories of King Nebuchadnezzar and the statue that's built. That's in the narrative section. That would be chapters 1 through 7. Those are the events of Daniel's life. Now, I want you to hear that these stories are not in the Bible to prove a moral point. They're not just made up so that we would understand something particular about God. They're real events orchestrated by the sovereign God to tell us about that God. In fact, Daniel, um, we see that he has written this. So he's a, a real person Writing about real events, chapter, chapter 10, verse 21, he actually writes, but I will tell you what is inscribed in this book. That is Daniel being the author of this book. In Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 14, the author there speaks about three historical figures in the Bible, Noah, Daniel, and Job. And again, in verse 20 of that same chapter, even Jesus speaks about Daniel in Matthew chapter 24, when he talks about the abomination of desolation, which I'm definitely not getting into today. Again, I'm going to leave that to Pastor Mark for later. Um, But Jesus talks about Daniel in that context. This is a real person in human history, All of this takes away the idea that these are fables that are made up, that Daniel in the lion's den or his friends in the fire, it's all real. Now, the danger that is often accompanied with the narrative portion is that we often mess up by making the application extremely moralistic. Here's what I mean. I think sometimes we can hear those stories about Daniel in the lion's den, and we would say to everyone, make sure you're being like Daniel. Daniel's the hero, be like Daniel. Or more, or probably even more close to home, you're like, man, you need to, you need to do a Daniel fast. Okay? And if I were like, hey, anybody done a Daniel fast? You're like, I don't know. Should I say yes or no? I've done a Daniel's fast. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm not saying it's right, um, but that you shouldn't have. But as we'll see when we get to the story, the point of that narrative is not that we should or shouldn't emulate Daniel in his eating practices. It's not even that we should emulate Daniel in his life, but rather that we would look at Daniel and desire to emulate the God that Daniel serves. That's the point as we get into this book. As Daniel abstains from the food in his wicked culture, that is Babylon, he's saying something about his God. He's saying something about the worthiness, about the goodness, about the kindness of his God. We're supposed to have our eyes drawn upwards as we look at the life of Daniel. And so we don't want to miss those things as we move throughout the book. Remember, this book isn't mainly about Daniel, but it's about the sovereign God that Daniel serves. That's going to give us the transcendence, the otherworldliness, the outer worldliness that we're looking for, something outside of our ourselves that informs the life that we're currently living. That's what's going to help us as we read this book and we're several thousand years removed. It's going to help us understand how we're to live life in a different place, under a different regime, in a different time, but under the same unchangeable sovereign God. see where we're going in the book of Daniel? So this first half helps us to see under God's banner how we are to live lives faithfully as exiles. And I'll define that in just a bit. But how can we, as the people of God, as Christians, live faithfully in a place and even in this world that is not our home? How can we live lives faithful to God in the middle of a wicked place? Second, There's the narrative half. Second, there's the prophetic half in chapters um, 8 through 12. Now, here's what they're actually about. Everybody loves the charts. Everybody loves talking about the end of the times. But it's actually about the prophecy about the restoration of Israel, the coming Messiah, and the end of the world. Now, before we start coming to conclusions about dates, because everybody wants to know, hey, exactly when is Jesus coming back? If, if, if you know, if you could just give me a little insight on that, before we start getting into the dates, which we're not going to give you a date, by the way, we can't, nor should anyone. Before we start uh, coming to conclusions on dates, let's realize that Daniel himself was kind of confused when God gave him the visions. Say, so What are you talking about? He says it himself in Daniel chapter 12, beginning in verse eight, he says, I heard, but I did not understand God gave him a message, and he did not know what it meant. So let's not presume to know what all the things mean and all the dates that we can come to conclusions about. So if you take on reading through the, chap- the 12 chapters of Daniel over the next weeks, and I would really encourage you to do that. Man, we're Bible people. We love God's Word. And so if you would take the opportunity to just read through those 12 chapters That would be good for you. That would be good for us as a people. Just know it's okay if you get to some parts and you're like, I have no idea what this means. You're in good company because Daniel said that also pray that the spirit of God would illuminate his word in your heart, that he would make it come alive. And that in using the context of the words and the verses around those verses that are hard to understand and the passages around those verses in the context of the entire Bible, that God might use that um, and his spirit would illuminate his word in our hearts. And don't forget in all of the strange language in the second half of the book, Daniel's visions were written down and recorded for a specific reason. And that specific reason is that God's people who are a suffering people, and when God's people who are suffering go through suffering and trials of any kind, we need to remember that there is a God who's sovereign above trials. He's sovereign above suffering and it is a God that we serve who's in control of all things and ultimately he will have victory. Even the prophecy points to that. Even the prophecy points to him. The second half of the book shows us that God knows the suffering of his people and that ultimately suffering will one day come to an end. Some additional fun facts. You see that kind of here. Chapter 1 is written in Hebrew because it begins in the land of Israel. The majority of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The majority of the New Testament is written in Greek. And there is Aramaic interspersed throughout. But chapter 1, Daniel's a unique book in that only it there is written in Hebrew. Chapter two through seven is written in Aramaic because it's actually the events that are taking place in Babylon, a different place. And then chapters eight through twelve go back to Hebrew, back to the prophecy, so that we have a, a look at what God is saying about his people in the future. The the structure is almost saying, you know how to be faithful to God in the Hebrew chapters you know that. We know how to be faithful in the context of a Christian community. That doesn't make it easy, but we know how to be faithful in that context. But can you do it in an Aramaic one? Can you be faithful to God in the context of Babylon? Can you do it in a place that is opposed to the things of God, that is looking at God and says, That is not right. Can you do it? Can you be faithful, child of God, in a place that is not aligned with your values? And we're supposed to be asking, what does faithfulness to God look like in a secular realm where rulers are at war with the gospel? Now, I hope that you're beginning to think this connects to my life because I don't live in a context like the Sunday morning gathering. I don't live in a context like my life group. I find myself most of the time in a context unlike this, where people are opposed to the things of God, right? We're trying to figure out, the book of Daniel is addressing, how are we, the people of God, going to be faithful in a place like this you could say that Daniel is a realistic survival manual for the saints. Now, I want you to, get, to give you a window into where Daniel fits in the biblical timeline from creation. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list some things in just a moment. And as I do that, I want you to hear that when people are not in exile, they're in idolatry. When people are not in exile... They're usually in idolatry. So, before we start develop the idea that we need to be out of exile on this earth, because that's how I often feel, man, it would be great if we could just move away into a Christian commune and everything was just peace, love, and happiness. Now, people have taken that really too far. They're like, I'm not espousing a cult, don't worry. But sometimes we think, man, it would be really nice to just know what people think and have the same desires. But before we start thinking about that too much, that we need to be exiled out of this exilic place, not strangers in a land, and life would be better. Know that every time that happened for God's people, they always ran to idolatry. I say that to say there might be something that sovereign God has for us particularly for us in exile. And it might be that he has a bigger plan. So let's just speed through some dates together. I'm going to jump around, but uh, A.D. four thousand, give or take, Adam and Eve are created. Our first parents. They're made in the the Garden of Eden. They are made uh, perfect. There is no sin. They are living life in perfect fellowship with God. Twenty four hundred to twenty three hundred. Around that time is Noah's flood. We know that humanity, because of Adam and Eve's sin, grew increasingly evil and wicked. And God decided to wipe off everybody off the place off the face of the planet, except for Noah and his family. Um, AD 2200 is the tower of Babel. Same thing kind of happens again. The people grew increasingly wicked, and they started building this tower, and they were trying to get to the top. God says, no, we're going we're gonna to confuse the languages. And AD 2090, God initiates covenant with Abraham. That's a major theme in all of the Bible Uh, We're going to jump down to, let's see, uh, 1350 to 1051, the time of the judges. 1051 to 1010, King Saul rules over Israel. Then King David rules over Israel. We can go to the next one if you don't mind, Mr. Jeremy. King Solomon rules over Israel. Then the temple in 966, the temple of the Lord is dedicated in Jerusalem. The kingdom of Israel is divided into north and south. Um, 626 to 585, Jeremiah warns of coming judgment against Israel. Then, this is really important, 605, Daniel's taken captive to Babylon. So that's where we find ourselves here. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, a. Um, Ezekiel is taken captive to Babylon shortly after, and then we see the fall of the southern kingdom. We see the fall of Babylon to Persians, and then King Cyrus decrees that Jews can return to Jerusalem, and in 530, Daniel dies, okay? So super fast, lots of information, but that's how this fits in the storyline of uh, where we are. Daniel isn't just a moralistic book. It's in human history. It fits into the divine narrative that God has planned and written, and it's for exiles. It's for you and me. Because we find ourselves in a place that is not ultimately our home. And it's not supposed to feel like perfectly home either. There's there's somewhere else, it's this book is for us. Now we've consumed a lot of information, but I don't want it to just pass us by. So um, like a good sermon. I got three points for you, okay? And we're gonna go through that fast, but here are three themes that we can grab onto in this book. One, we're gonna see that God has plans for his people. God has plans for his people. And as for exiles, we could say that exiles are those people that are driven out by God. We could also say that exiles are are some that experiences God's just banishment for sin, but that isn't complete in of itself. They're not complete, especially when applied to the book of Daniel. Because typically, when we think of an exile, what is it that we think? Give me some words. What do we think when we think exile? Outcast? Outcast. Prison, Prison. yeah. Abandoned. Abandoned. Lonely. Foreign. 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 What else? Cut Cut off. Yeah, so that's not complete. Those are really good words. That's not complete when we look at the exile that Daniel is. Because we know that God's people are never cut off, never abandoned, never without hope. You see in Jeremiah chapter 24, verses 1 through 10, Jeremiah has this vision of these two baskets of figs. Anybody have a fig tree in their house? I a fig tree in the backyard. Got a fig tree in the backyard. I have a fig tree in my neighbor's yard, and a lot of their leaves are in mine, so that makes it some of mine, right? So I pick off some of those figs every year, and they don't ever seem to work. I see all these people like, man, I'm making fig jam. I'm like, I got three figs. But (laughs) nevertheless, Jeremiah has this vision of two baskets of figs. Okay. And one basket in this vision is filled with really good ripe figs. And the other basket is filled with unedible, rotten, disgusting figs. And the Lord tells Jeremiah, I want you to hear this what he says to Jeremiah about these figs. He says, the good figs are like those people, my people that are sent into exile into the land of Babylon. He says about those people, his people sent into Babylon, that he's going to bring those people back one day into their own land. And he's going to build those people up. He's not going to tear them down. He's going to plant them. And ultimately, he's going to give them a new heart to know that he's the Lord, that they shall be his and he will be their God for they will return to them with their whole hearts. That's what he says about the good figs. The good figs are going to be what kind of people? Exiles. Remember the exiles that we've already said we typically think cast off, cut off, abandoned, without hope. He says those figs, are good. The ones that I'm sending into exile, this is a good thing. In the book of Daniel, it is the exiles in Babylon who are truly counted to be God's blessed people. Don't miss that. Again, could it be that God has you here as an exile in a land that is not your own for a unique purpose? That he has a plan for you to grow, to be built up, to know that he's your God, for for you to return to him with your whole hearts. That there might be more for you here than complaining about how much the traffic stinks. And for you, Locust Grovians, even more than complaining about how many warehouses there are in this city. And there's a lot of them. And they're worth complaining about but could there be more that God has for us as people who are exiles in this place? Might he have more for you, a sovereign God, that he's placed right here and right now? It's a beautiful thing to consider. This past week, I saw the vitriol that came upon Facebook and descended when everybody opened their property tax statements this past week, and you felt it? You felt it just like I did. What in the world has Henry County come to? Might there be more for us as exiles here in this place than complaining about those things? Your job might just be an outpost for you to bring the glory of God to a people who are in desperate need of hope. That might be why God has us here today. That your home might indeed be to serve as a reminder to those that are around you in your community, both within the church and outside the church, that God is gracious to his people. Jeremiah's vision serves to help us think differently about those of us in exile. Daniel and the other Israelites in exile were in the center of God's positive, someone said, mission to this world. That's the exile that we're looking at in the book of Daniel. So God's plans for his people. Second, I want us to see that God has plans for Babylon. In the midst of God bringing an exile into the place of Babylon, God has a plan for Babylon. There's a a huge gap between the way I often think about the world in which I live in, property taxes, warehouses, traffic, and the way in which I live and the way in which God intends for his people to live in the place that he has planted and placed them. Would you agree? Would you agree that there's often a gap between those things, the way that you live and the way that God intends for you to live? I'll submit that to you. While this world is passing away, we aren't here to wish it goodbye. Good riddance with this world. Get it away from here. Like this place is going up in smoke, so let me do my thing and get on out. Now, again, in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 14, we see how God intends for his exiles to live. In the middle of wicked Babylon, God says to them, hear this. He says, again, Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 14, he says, build houses and live in them. Ben says, Amen. Plant gardens, eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Man, I've I've heard this notion as of late, even in the church, that young people get married and they think, man, this world is too wicked to bring children in. And while this world is a wicked place, God has for his people, an exile people, to come and take wives, to marry men and women one to another that they might procreate and it would be a blessing to humanity. That is God's desire for a people in exile. We're to be here for the welfare of the city. We've been sent into this place and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you find your welfare. When things go well in this place, things go well for us, right? God intended good things for the city. We'll see Daniel's heart for Babylon and the king is in being aligned with God's own heart, one of compassion. God has a message for the world as well as a desire to bring even salvation to some who dwell there. That's your place in exile for the good of Babylon. And then finally, God has plans for the world. The God of the exiles in the sixth century BC has not changed in the last two and a half millennia. He's still the same God. He never changes. We know that if those were his desires for a people in exile, then then it is also still a desire for his church, a people in exile today. We must not run away from the culture, ignore those in darkness, or set up a king to worship. To offer a saving word to those under his wrath, God's plan is for his people to dwell among a people in wickedness. He desires for his people to go and preach the good news. For Romans 10, chapter seven, verse 17 says that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Being at home in Babylon, does not mean finding fulfillment here alone, though. It's in the coming kingdom of Christ that we find fulfillment. Therein lies our hope even in 2022, especially in 2022. Just as Christ reigns forever, the gospel is timeless. My challenge before you today, friends, is to surrender to the one Jesus Christ who sacrificed himself for you because his kingdom is the kingdom that is enduring. So just some wrap-up thoughts, questions. What's the reason that God put you here today? I started with that question. I still want you to consider it. Why in the world on September 4th, 2022, would God have you here today? And I was I was talking to a, a public school teacher in our church yesterday about the difficulties and challenges in that environment. And I could not help but to think the countless teachers that are in our church, the gratefulness that I have for you, those that those of you that find yourself in a a realm that is not appreciative. Of the rule and reign of Christ Jesus. However long you do that, you are in exile. You're in exile in a foreign land, placed there to display the uniqueness of God to boys and girls who are in need of hope. They're in need of light in darkness. And we are grateful for your courage. We're grateful. I was thinking of the moms after that conversation today. Many of you school your children at home. Many of you are faithful to the calling that has been placed upon you as moms. And you are raising these children as arrows to be faithful so that your children can go out into Babylon. We're grateful for your courage. Thank you single person. Your life is of incredible value to those in your reach. Don't shirk back in Babylon in the middle of exile because you don't have a spouse. In fact, press, press on. Press in deeper. The apostle Paul reminds you that you are of all people, able to be of one mind, of single-minded devotion for the Lord. Do not shirk back in Babylon. We need you. Thank you for your courage in the middle of this place. Continue to leverage your time and resources for the kingdom of God here and now. Dad, God's image is upon you. And while TV TV shows marginalize your place in the home, in this culture, and make you look weak. Your strength should be found in your desire to protect others and to lead your families, not in an us-against-the-world mentality, but an us-for-the-world. You have the unique responsibility of shepherding your family to say, we are in Babylon, and we're here to be a light we're here as members of this local church to be a city on the hill, to be a place, a place of refuge that those might come in and find hope and strength for this world. I admire your courage, Dad, for taking steps toward that, regardless, hear this, of your families pulling with you or not. Young person, I look over here. There's a lot of young people over here. God has placed you here on planet Earth, September 4th, 2022, in a really difficult time. Nobody is going to tell you otherwise. This is a really unique time in world history. You're here in a really difficult place, and yet God's image is upon you, and he has created you for such a time as this. He's also created you with time. Use it wisely. Don't waste it. Redeem it. We're thankful for your courage. We could go on and on. You say, Is is, is Chris going to touch on my particular niece group? I, I could go on and on all day long. But I'm thankful for the way that the body of Christ is functioning in and among our church. I'm thankful for the roles that many of you have picked up in the midst of exile, in the midst of wickedness to go out into this culture to say there is a hope and the hope is not found in the here and now. Our hope is fixed on Christ Jesus whose kingdom has come and is coming and this place will one day be made all new and it will be beautiful God has a purpose for you and he has placed you right here and right now and he loves you. And he demonstrated, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter five, verse eight, he demonstrated his great love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This morning as an exile in a foreign land and we're gonna partake in communion like we do every single week at South Point, and I want you, as we, as the body of Christ, partake in this special meal, I want you to remember Christ's promise to his church before he ascended. In Matthew chapter 28, he leaves us with this phrase, and lo, what? I am with you always until the end of the age. We're in exile. There's no doubt about it. God has a unique purpose for us as individuals. He has a unique plan for his church that is the vehicle for the gospel to get out. And he says that he's with us all. And so as you take of the elements this morning, the bread, symbolic of Christ's body that was broken for us on the cross, and we take that bread and we dip it into the juice, symbolic of Christ's blood that was poured out for us, that in his blood, Jesus Christ exchanged. He took the wrath that was being deserved for us and he took it upon himself and he gave us his very righteousness. Would you remember that Jesus Christ, the savior of the world, who died on the cross, who was buried and on the third day was resurrected to new life, says, while you're in exile, I'm with you always, even to the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us an opportunity to gather as your people today. I thank you for the book that we're going to find ourselves in over the next several months, that this book is about you, God. And as we look to it, I pray that we might know you in a deeper way, that we might find relationship with you even sweeter. And we thank you, Father, that you've invited us into, the rela- into a relationship with you. And we see it so clearly in the cross of Christ that he died a death that we as wicked people because of our sin debt deserve to die. He took that sin debt upon himself and he exchanged it for his goodness. And he left us with a promise after his resurrection on the third day before he ascended into heaven to sit at your right hand where he is today our advocate. He left us with a promise and he said that he's with us. You've given us your spirit as a testament that we know that you are indeed with us, that you're indwelling us, that you're empowering us, that you're comforting us, that you're bringing us peace so that we as a people in exile might know that yes, while this is extremely difficult and the suffering and trials will continue, that you are near, you're here and you have a desire for us You have a desire for your church. And you have a desire for this place in which we live. And God, we pray that we might see our place in it even now. We love you. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.